Hey, Planet Money listeners. If you're looking for another podcast to check out, we recommend Snap Judgment with Glenn Washington. It's got poignant, sound-rich stories with a style all their own. You can find it on iTunes. Whenever you have to explain the European Union to someone who doesn't know about it or really doesn't care about it, you start to use all these crazy analogies. So you're like, oh, yeah, the European Union, it's like the United States in the 19th century if all the states spoke different languages. Or it's like that song, Hotel California, like you can check in but never leave. No, no, no. The Eurozone is like murder on the Orient Express, you know, where everyone's guilty and they're on a train together and they're stuck. I was talking about Europe with my 16-year-old niece, Rebecca, over the weekend, and she gave me a new crazy analogy. So this economic situation is like that of the situation in St. Elmo's Fire. St. Elmo's Fire. The Brat Pack movie from the 1980s, Rob Lowe with the saxophone, Demi Moore. It was made back when Europe was just starting to plan for the euro. So there are all these disparate countries, um, right? So... But they're all bound together by one thing. So in the same way, in St. Elmo's Fire, there are five different characters. Or maybe it's six. I think it's five. Whatever. Okay, it's actually seven. But but go with it here. They're, they're college graduates. They're bound together as friends. And they have very different personalities. So two of them are total mess-ups. Rob Lowe, he, like, had a baby and, like, can't afford it and, like, is a bad father. Demi Moore is, like, a cocaine addict and a real nutcase. And, like, neither of them could afford their lives. Think Italy. Think Spain. But they're both the hottest people in the group. Think Italy. Think Spain. And this one member of the pack is this total overachiever, Judd Nelson. I'm Alec Newberry with Congressman Langston's office, if I can be of any assistance. In St. Elmo's Fire, he's this super successful wealthy guy lending his friends money, helping them get jobs. I get this story... Whatever his name, who is now the good guy and really wealthy one, is Germany in this situation. Because although he himself individually is totally succeeding and dominating in his political career, super wealthy, success story of Georgetown, he's secretly screwing the rest of the group. And here, a 60-year-old puts her finger on one of the big problems happening in Europe right now. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Robert Smith. And I'm Zoe Chase. Usually when we talk about the crisis in Europe, we talk about the screw-ups, the Rob Lowe's and the Demi Moore's, Greece with the riots, Spain with the unemployment. But the strangest report just came out blaming Germany. Germany. Blaming Germany for doing too well. Germany is doing very well right now. And as a result, it is screwing the rest of the countries in the Eurozone. All those big problems with the currency union, they're still with us. So how well is Germany doing right now? So while the rest of the continent has been in recession and struggling really, really badly, Germany has been charging ahead. Like Germany looks incredible. There is really nothing but good news coming out of Germany about its economy. The latest trade figures show Germany, Europe's largest economy, started the year on a strong footing and is on track to robust growth. Exports and imports surged in January. BMW, Mercedes and Audi. Sales have increased by 12% last year. Confidence among German consumers, investors and businesses has hit multi-year highs in recent months. The reason for this success is a pretty simple one. 
Germany makes stuff. It makes high-tech stuff, cars, machinery, electronics, and it likes to send that stuff around the world. Jacob Kierkegaard is an economist with the Peterson Institute. Germany has always had what you could call an export fetish. Uh, you know, they've always been very focused on uh, exporting as much as possible. All that good news about Germany, that is actually the bad news. This is the bad news for the countries that are sharing the currency with Germany, the euro. This is why Germany got in trouble with them. Because when you have incredible export growth like Germany has, it means that money is pouring into your country. Money is piling up in German banks. Ideally, when a country makes a bunch of money like that, they also spend a bunch of money. That was the whole idea with the European Union. The money would flow around. But Germany is not spending their money. No, the money is just piling up. It is stuck in Germany. And economists, they have a name for this. It's called an imbalance. And it is a real problem. Rich Germans are not buying stuff like fine Italian wine, sold by Italian women with beautiful accents. Pinot Grigio, Amarone, growing in Veneto, Suave, Valpolicella. Giliola Trambusti in Florence. These wines are artisanal and pricey, some 25, 30 euros a bottle. Primitivo uh, from Puglia. Do you sell to Germany? Yes. How are the sales going? Um, uh, the sales are going not very well. Not very well, she says. Clearly, she's a little upset about this. Italians and the Greeks and the Spaniards are looking at that big pile of money in Germany and saying, hey, spread a little of it around, okay? Buy some stuff. But all the statistics show that Germans are exporting more than they are importing. They are selling more than they are buying. This is called a trade surplus. Germany has a really big one. Jacob Kierkegaard, our analyst, says no developed country in the history of the world has ever been so successful and so frugal at the same time. And it is a problem. And I think it's fair to say that that if if everybody, every consumer everywhere behaved like the German consumer, uh, then the world would be in almost permanent recession. This is why the Germans got in trouble with the European Commission, the bureaucrats who watch these kind of statistics. I have here in my hand a, a progress report of sorts. Like, you know, the warning you get before you get your actual grades they have that for countries in the Eurozone, um, and it's, it's, uh, it's very sinister. Yeah, there's a, a little European flag on the top, and the title is The Third Alert Mechanism Report on Macroeconomic Imbalances in EU Member States. Wow, you don't, you don't want to get this in the mail. No. <laughs> and uh, I'll summarize it for you. It says, Germans, you wealthy Germans driving around in your Benzes, not drinking fancy Italian wine, you are breaking the rules. This is a punishable offense in Europe. They don't actually mention Benzes or wine. But they are saying the Germans are not buying enough stuff. Their trade surplus is too high. So change your ways, the report says. Start spending money or you will be in really big trouble the next time one of these reports comes out. So why exactly is the best student in the class being sent a note from the principal like this? Well, it, it comes out of one of the fundamental problems of the European Union itself. The Union ties together all these different countries, all these different cultures who really, we've seen time and time again, do not agree on some basic values about money. 
Take the the wine sales problem, for instance. We talked to this other winemaker, John Luca. Germans won't really buy his fancy wine. I think it's a kind of an attitude of the German people. You are like cool if you buy something for a reasonable price, <laughs> uh, rather than being that, rather than spending a lot of money. This is my explanation. I used to have friends in Germany, and they always, uh, I remember when I was a kid, uh, Saturday morning was the day to fix the toys, rather than buying new toys. You know, it's it's a national mentality. I know this sounds like a stereotype, but listen to this German. I wouldn't pay too much for a bottle of wine, actually. This is Philip Plickert. He's the economics editor at the German newspaper, the FAZ. I mean, I, my, my budget for a bottle of wine would be six or seven euros. That's, that's okay. That's reasonable. I've been talking to winemakers in Italy, and they tell me that indeed the German wine budget doesn't seem to stretch. I'm afraid that Italian wine won't save Italy. They have to produce something else. Damn, Italy, you just got told by a German, uh, which... I think it happens a lot. Plickert also told me about this famous ad for an electrical appliance in Germany that's become kind of a national catchphrase. The slogan was Geiz ist geil, which means it means if you're a thrifty person, you're really smart and clever and cool. Okay, so that is the cultural explanation for German thriftiness. But there is also a deep economic reason why Germany is so out of whack with the rest of Europe. It goes back to, okay, the single currency, the euro. I, I love talking about this. I will never be over talking about all the crazy things that happen when a bunch of different countries decide to share a currency. Because the dream, the one currency was supposed to make things easier for Europe. But once again, it has this unintended consequence. Countries can't adjust to different economic conditions. Back in the 1980s, before the euro, back when Germans were lining up to watch St. Elmo's Fire, and this song was on the radio in West Germany... They had the Deutschmark. And with the Deutschmark, it would have been much harder to build up a trade surplus like the one they have now. If lots of people wanted to buy German things, they would have had to use Deutschmarks. The more popular German stuff got, the more valuable the Deutschmark would get. The currency would get stronger and stronger. Then the exchange rate for marks would have made German products seem more expensive to the rest of the world. Exports would have slowed down naturally. And inside Germany, this is key, the strong Deutschmark would have made things like Italian wine seem super cheap. John Luca, the winemaker, says, in fact, it was easier to sell his wine back before there was one European currency, back when Italy was using the lira. When we used to sell our wines in uh, liras, obviously, our wines were uh, much, much, much cheaper, and it was much easier to export uh, all over the world. So, yes, from my point of view, yes, it was easier in, with liras than euros. But now Italy and Germany and the rest of Europe, they have committed. They are using the same currency. The exchange rates do not automatically adjust. And you can end up in this kind of runaway situation where the currency acts in the sort of exact opposite way that it would in an ordinary kind of circumstance because they're all using the euro. So, What happens is German exports seem kind of artificially cheap. The euro doesn't really rise to slow their trade surplus down. 
Italian exports seem artificially expensive because they're tied to the euro. And this kind of just keeps perpetuating itself. Because German exports are so affordable, people keep buying them, their surplus keeps growing, no one buys anything from Italy, and their deficits get worse. Wow. So what now? Like many of the problems in Europe, it comes back to this structural problem. And how do you fix a structural problem? Well, I read through the European Commission Third Alert Mechanism Report on Macroeconomic Imbalances, and the report actually sort of raises some tough questions about the situation. Because do you really want to tell Germany that they should stop producing such awesome products? Do you really want to put a limit on how many Mercedes can roll out of the showroom? That would be one way to fix the trade imbalance, but nobody wants to do that. And nobody is telling Germans, you guys have to sit around and drink massive amounts of nice Italian wine just to make Italy's economy grow. Philip Plickert, he's the newspaper editor in Germany. He says, you can't tell us what to do. How should you order people to spend their money? I mean, it's mm. this is a free country and this is a free economy. So... So far, I mean, we don't have a kind of uh, commissioner who orders people to spend or to save. It's, it's the millions of individuals who make their individual decisions. So rather than fix this fundamental problem, what the European Commission is saying in their report is, Germany, there is a consequence to what you're doing. If you do nothing, if you do nothing to correct this massive imbalance that we are pointing to, in a while after, you know, we issue a bunch more reports, you could be subject to a fine. Some percentage of your massive GDP, you'd have to pay that to the European Commission as as punishment for having this unbalanced economy. And what the European Commission plans to do with that hypothetical money is they'll put it towards a bailout fund. As if to say, yes, we know this imbalance is going to cause a problem. And when it does, well, at least we have some money in the bank to help pay for all the problems. That's our show. Write to us. Let us know what you think. PlanetMoney at NPR.org. And when you're done listening to Planet Money, there are lots of other great NPR podcasts worth checking out, including Snap Judgment with Glenn Washington. It is one of those great storytelling programs that make you laugh, make you feel something, and uh, is done in a totally fun way. I highly recommend Snap Judgment. You can find it on iTunes under podcasts. I just wanted to thank a couple of people also who helped with this show. So Damiano Marchetti, he helped with the research. Simon O'Connor with the European Commission. Emma Begley, Bill McAndrews with BMW. Steve Lombardo, who connected me to wine importers. Our show was produced by Fia Benin. I'm Zoe Chase. And I'm Robert Smith. Thanks for listening. <laughs> 